Hello and welcome to Really Well Women with me, clinical somatic educator Heidi Hadley and naturopathic doctor Sarah Wilson. Really Well Women is here to educate, empower and enhance the health and well-being of women who have many demands and yet they want to take care of themselves from the inside out. Enjoy our podcast as we delve into all areas of health and well-being. So are you ready to find out more? Let's get started. Welcome back. In today's episode, we are doing part one of the trap of busyness. And today we're going to talk about 10 signs that you're in a stress spiral. Because I know I am not alone in the fact that I have gotten way beyond myself in terms of how stressed I was before I even realized. So this episode is one that Heidi and I picture you are going to come back to time and time again, just to assess where you're at, what's happening and what you need to work on. Because as we navigate our way through life, this trap of busyness and this drive to be pulled in so many different directions can really catch up to us and can have a huge impact. So we just want to break everything down for you. So first and foremost, I would love to hear how you define busyness, Heidi. Right. Well, busyness, I often say it's like a quality or a condition of being busy. And that always sometimes often means that we can be very lively, be getting on with lots of things, but sometimes it can be pretty meaningless activity. Um, And I often will say to people, it's as if you're in that hamster's wheel. You're expending all this energy, but you're actually getting nowhere. And you're kind of caught in this, and it's almost like a a treadmill, isn't it? You're going nowhere, really. Um, And I think what's happened is it's become quite insidious, really, because in society now, if somebody says they're busy, it's almost like a badge of honor. It's like, yeah, I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm getting four hours sleep and I'm doing this. Um, And then and it's, it's almost like a, a bit of competitiveness that's starting to kick in. And the amazing thing is we've got all these labor-saving devices and these inventions that have allowed us to cram so much more into our day now, you know, that we've, we kind of have found that we've got fast internet and we get frustrated if that goes slow on us, for instance, because we've got so much we want to fit into the day. But um, what's happening is we're losing patience and we're filling our mind with so much more that actually it's burning people out. And that's exactly why I was saying earlier in this season that as much as it's easy for us to use the word busy when we're describing what's happening, I've tried to ban the word busy because it means completely different things to different people. And you're right. We use it to compare ourselves to others. And so I'm trying to think of other words like it's, it was a really productive day or I had a really full day or things like that as opposed to busy because it truly means nothing. And yeah. it can also create a lot of despair is intention within relationships when you're saying you're busy and someone else is like, yeah, I don't think you're busy. You should see me. This is what busy looks like. So it's not descriptive at all in today's day and age. Um, So I'm trying to ban the word busy as difficult as it is. And that's the thing is because we talk about um, there's almost that comparing, but you know, we've talked before and we'll talk again about how we can start to get drawn into that primitive brain, that survival mechanism. And I thought before we go on, we could just discuss a little bit about the three mechanisms that happen during the stress response, because you know, when we are so-called busy, we are basically living in that survival stress response. So it's just a subconscious list of actions and behaviors. And so the thing is, is that the subconscious is working 
all the time and you know our limbic system the amygdala they're all those fight or flight stress responses that we refer to and so those three mechanisms i just want to highlight them and then talk about how we see them in mind body and behavior basically so we've got three stress responses. We've often talked about, you know, if it's a saber toothed tiger running towards a caveman, there are three responses that they could take. Um, so the first one is to fight. So when we fight, we take somebody on, we're holding our ground. If we flee from that situation, this is where we see that increase of blood flow to our legs. And we have this increase of oxygen intake into our blood flow or blood system. And then the third one is the freeze. And so that's where we make ourselves as small as possible. Our heart rate starts to drop and our energy levels will plummet as well. And everything just starts to slow down. And so the, those three responses will show up in different ways. And, and I just, again, want us to start looking at how these things can show up in our lives and in our family members' lives. So when we identify them, and in this instance, it's when we think, do you know what? I feel like I'm getting caught in that hamster's wheel or I'm worried about a loved one because I can see that they're getting sucked into this stress cycle of busyness. This is what we want to look for. So if you or you know somebody that lives in more of that fight response, you're going to see in that person that they become very aggressive. They may act in a very superior or intimidating manner. And also they get this muscle tension and you see the tension building up in their jaw, in their neck, in their arms. And their voice just starts to get louder and louder. And notice their eyes as well, because their eyes will narrow. Because in that fight situation, they'd be, their eyes would be narrowing because they want to focus on the target. So that's the first one. Um, the second one would be the flight. And so with this, it's very interesting watching body language because with this, it's where people are wanting to escape. They've got these feelings of anxiety. They feel very overwhelmed. Uh, you, you'll notice that their hands are shaking or they're wringing their fingers or they might be holding their fingers, messing with pen or messing with a ring, all those sorts of things. And also watch their feet because their feet fidget. Because if you think in a, in a flight response, your feet are ready to go. You want to run away from that situation. So that also is a big body language sign. And also their voice can become very hoarse. It can be very unstable. And you'll notice that there's like um, a sweatiness that's, that can happen with people or they've got palpitations. And also insomnia can happen because in this situation, people are not wanting to sleep. They want to run for their lives in that survival mechanism. So with that side of things, uh, we start to see it. And people with like irritable, irritable bladder syndrome. So that irritability all the time is that wanting to go to the toilet, the unsettledness of wanting the toilet, that all comes within that response. And then the third one is the freeze response. And so this is where people want to make themselves as small as possible. You know, if you look at them, they're searching for protection. So you watch their eye movements. They're darting from side to side. They're in a real fear response and that freezing. Um, and again, what you'll also see is this, this feeling of feeling quite demoralized and this sense of helplessness, that vulnerability. They feel very vulnerable. There's that sense of doom. And they might say things like, we can't do this. We're all alone. Um, and that's where you see it you see they're crying you might see there's a, a low volume in their voice and their breathing starts to shift and change and what's quite concerning sarah is there's a lot of people living in this behavioral response this freeze response because their energy becomes rock bottom their movements become very slow 
and also their voice becomes very low very weak also so that's really those responses but i thought we could start to dissect them and see how that shows up in different ways as well definitely this is something that as much as Heidi's listing these things off, you may say, oh, well, I'm not stressed. I'm, I've got a good day-to-day life. I have found this shows up in the most subtle things. So for example, I had a patient who said that she always had to sit near a door. She didn't know why. Mm-hmm. She wasn't stressed. Yeah. She could be completely calm, but she always felt like she needed to sit near a door or couldn't, it was claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And so that caused me to reach out and be like, oh, do you find your hands get kind of sweaty? Do you ever feel like you can't catch your breath sometimes? And so there's often these little signs or symptoms that are telling us that your your stress system is just pulsing, even though it could be your normal, right? Yeah. Again, that common versus normal. It could be what you live with all the time. So you don't actually see any difference until you get help coming out of that, uh, which is fantastic. And I agree with that, Sarah, because, you know, we're very good at pointing the finger and going, oh, yeah, you're in that stress response, but we don't notice it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our loved ones will go, you know, I think you need to slow down. You need to go careful. And then you you might go, oh, no, no, I'm fine. No, I've got it all in hand. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just been that gradual dial. We've been turning up that stress response. It's so subtle. It's only when something happens that we realize that we've got to make some big changes. So why don't we go through this list right before our break? And we're going to break this down in so much more detail after the break. But first and foremost, we want to give you what are the things to watch out for? What are the kind of warning signs? So the 10 signs that you're headed down a stress spiral are that you are either always sick or never sick. It can be two ends of the coin. I have so many patients who walk in the door who are so proud of themselves. They're like, I am never sick. I have the strongest immune system. And that's actually a warning sign. Another thing is an inability to focus. We're hearing so much in today's day and age about ADD and ADHD that has people have been tested in the past and been said they're negative and all of a sudden as an adult, it's showing positive. What's going on there? And even just, it doesn't have to be diagnosable. It can just be you're sitting down to do something and you're, you've got monkey mind. The third one is not sleeping. So pushing through to the point that you're like, can't sleep, can't sleep, or you physically can't sleep. So insomnia, we've got nausea and heaviness after meals. So you eat something and it's just sitting there and you're like, Ooh, that's heavy. I don't feel good. Changes in appetite. So that can be changes for the type of food that can be not hungry. That can be always hungry. Um, anxiety and depression. When those symptoms are starting to creep up and that's not something you're used to, that's a sign. We're also looking at exhaustion, hormonal changes. So I always say your period is your monthly report card. And so if your period is off or you're starting to get hormonal acne out of nowhere, you're starting to get changes in the how heavy your flow is. If you're getting clots or no clots, like we said, nitty gritty. (laughs) (laughs) All of these things are signs crying out of nowhere. So that's a sign for a lot of people. They'll be sitting there and they just have no idea why, but all of a sudden they start crying in the most inopportune moments and getting angry for no reason or just really easily irritated. So these are really the big 10 that we want you to take note of and be like, Ooh, I have a few of those. What can I do? And why is that happening? That's what we're going to address after. Do you feel that tight muscles are affecting your movement and posture? Do you feel that you have recurring pain or injuries? Would you like to know how to reduce pain, improve your posture, increase your mobility and develop mindfulness? 
Allow me to teach you the Total Somatics approach to health and wellness within my online program. In the comfort of your own home and at a time that suits you, we can start creating healthy changes. To learn more, go to totalsomatics.com. Welcome back. In this second half of the episode, we really want to break things down even more for you and help you to understand and expand on things we talked about in season one, episode three and four, the stress and cortisol episodes. So we're going to talk again about the hypothalamus pituitary. So those are areas of your brain and adrenal axis. So the communication between those, as well as how your brain, your hypothalamus and pituitary communicate with your ovaries. And that is why we can see so many dramatic impacts of stress. So why don't you break down the HPA or hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access for us, Heidi? Yeah, sure. So first of all, just wanting to highlight that with stress, it's affecting three different systems. So one of them is the hormonal system. So that's going to change the adrenals. And then we've got the immune system. And so in those areas, we see changes in the spleen, the thymus, and in the lymph. And then we've also got the intestinal lining of your digestive system. So they're very, very heavily affected by stress. Now, the thing is that the central nervous system doesn't actually know the difference between perceived and actual danger. That's what's really interesting. So irrespective of if it's a perceived or actual danger, the hypothalamus, which sits in your brainstem, starts to release a hormone. And what happens is it releases that hormone and then it travels a short distance to your pituitary. And when it gets to the pituitary, it stimulates the pituitary to release another hormone, And then what happens is this hormone then has a direct effect on the cortisol levels because what happens is within the adrenal glands, it then starts to dampen down the stress response. It decreases your immune activity um, and changes it to safe parameters. And And that's why talking about perceived stress and talking about busyness is so important for this episode because as much as we may not always make the connection, when we say, oh, my dad was busy, it was so busy, I'm so busy, that's perceived stress. When yeah. you're saying that, when you're experiencing that in your body, you're sending these messages to your brain and from your brain to your adrenals. Absolutely. And that's right. And so that's the thing is when we see those parts and they start, it's like a domino effect, isn't it? It starts Mm -hmm. to one affect the other. This is that functional connection between the hypothalamus, the pituitary and the adrenals. And so as Sarah said at the beginning, it's called the HPA axis because it's the center of the body's stress mechanism. And this is what's linked with many chronic health conditions. And so what's fascinating is that the hypothalamus has a two-way communication within the brain centers, and it's also involved with processing emotions. And that's the key thing is that it is the link between emotional processing within the HPA axis, and it has these direct effects on your immune system and also on other organs. And that's exactly right, Sarah, is about that perceived is just as much as so powerful as actual because the science is showing that between your mind, body and disease, they're heavily linked. And I'm going to use the word again, and we're going to use it in the future. And it's called psychoneuroimmunology. And so there's a massive science now, a field of science and health, where they're looking at this. And what they've noticed is that people that suffer with inflammatory issues, such as asthma, cancer, colitis, arthritis, they're being prescribed cortisol type drugs to deal with their pain. But what's happening is if you think about the HPA axis, the behavior there, their natural cortisol levels are already really high, aren't they? And then you add in a cortisol type drug 
And you can see that why it creates a greater risk of things such as intestinal bleeding and why they have to take other drugs to help sort of line the, the um, you know, protect the lining of the gut, for instance, because the cortisol is just getting higher and higher. Obviously, these people need that pain relief, but we can see how internally um, things are starting to change. And as a result of that, depressed, it's showing that depressed people secrete higher levels of cortisol. And that's why it's interesting that the research is showing that stressed and depressed menopausal women are more likely to have osteoporosis and more hip fractures because of that high cortisol level um, and because of the demineralizing of the bone. And it's really important to understand that cortisol and cortisone go back and forth. So there's an enzyme, it's not important what it is, um, but that allows the conversion back and forth from cortisol to cortisone. And your body uses it as a protective mechanism, but cortisone, like hydrocortisone, like a lot of these, these medications that we're talking about are immunosuppressive. Um, and so your body can exchange back and forth. And with these, a lot of these medications, we know that they're affecting the HPA axis as well. That's why there's withdrawal symptoms. And I have had patients who have been on corticosteroids for eczema, for issues, and have come off and experienced really dramatic symptoms from a stress response. So the, the mechanisms cannot be pulled apart. And unfortunately, the Western medical system really likes to view everything in isolation. And so we're just trying to put it back together for you, which is also really important when we're understanding that the communication between the brains, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the ovaries um, is similar to the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal communication. So when we're thinking about ovarian health, we think, okay, great. The brain tells your ovaries to ovulate and that's the end of the story. That's what happens. But we know that there's dramatic changes in that communication pathway that happen with perceived stress. I always say to people, progesterone, progestation, baby making hormone. If your body does not perceive that it is a good moment to have a baby, do you think you're going to make enough of that hormone? Do you think ovulation is going to happen? Which is going to, it's going to depend on the person. Some people have very stress sensitive cycles. Um, so when I say stress sensitive cycle, what do I mean? symptom wise, what I'm talking about is you're going to get extended or shortened cycles. The most common one is longer cycles. So you go through a stressful period and all of a sudden you ovulate three, four days later than you normally do. So your cycle is longer or you don't ovulate at all. That's again, because the brain has communicated or decreased its communication to the ovaries. FSH is one of them. LH is the other. This is just the ones that you'll see on your blood work if you ask for hormones, which is why I mentioned them. Um, they're very, very commonly run, but FSH is telling your follicles and your ovaries to develop. So you're telling, okay, eggs, time to grow. And LH is saying, ovulation. Let's do this thing. Let's make this baby. So your brain's not going to communicate growth or ovulation if there's a lot of suppression because of the stress response. And then when you think the only reason women of reproductive age have more hormones than menopausal women is because of that ovulation, because of the growth of the egg, which produces estrogen and the ovulation, which then produces progesterone. And so if you're not having that ovulation, you're going to have a different level of hormones that cycle. And so this can show up with 
increased in androgens from the adrenal glands and low levels of female sex hormones, giving acne and issues like that. Um, this can show up as PMS, which we're going to talk about in the hormonal chaos section. We're going to talk about PMDD. This can show up, as I said before, with clots heavy periods, um, with really, really light periods. And we know that your gynecological age, so the age within which you are now minus when you got your period is going to dictate how sensitive this axis is. So the younger you are, the, the more sensitive it is, but this is something that's going to affect all women, even after you have gone through perimenopause, um, or gone through menopause itself the communication between the brain and the ovaries is what dictates your female sex hormone production. So it's, it's really so involved in terms of how that brain works. And that's why I, as much as I tell people I'm a hormone person, right? I love the way hormones and inflammation interact. It's fundamentally what I'm working on is the brain. Yeah. And I mean, that's why um, in my head, when you were talking about this, I thought, oh, it's all somatic awareness again. You know, we, we talk about the mind and body, how you can't separate the one from the other in different facets, in different ways. And this is another beautiful example of how that's the case. So I just thought as it's quite a meaty subject and we're going to be discussing the second part of this soon. And what I thought we could do is look at the three points of taking away. Is that OK if I just start with mine, Sarah? Sure. Okay. So um, if I look at the first one, I'd say, could we remember that multitasking doesn't work? So if we've got that view that we think that if bringing lots of things into our life, it's creating like a badge of honor and that it means that we're something even more successful. Could we actually take that limiting that old fashioned belief system and change it and realize that the research is now showing that if you focus on one task at a time, you're actually much more productive. It's a much more efficient way to operate. And also realizing that our health is our wealth. And so if we're stuck in a hamster's wheel, this behavior where we just don't stop and we're, we're, we're kind of uh, reducing the amount of sleep that we get in. And we learned in season one how important sleep is. If we started to neglect diet and sleep and relationships for this so-called busy um, lifestyle that we're creating, can we rein that in also? And then the third one is just being mindful and noticing if we're living in one or more of those stress responses that we mentioned at the beginning, that fight, flight, or a freeze response. And if we are, can we make some changes? So looking at using mindful somatic movement, maybe creating a daily somatic movement practice that includes um, somatic breathing and bringing that mindful approach to everything that we do, how we walk, how we stand, how we think. And all that, again, is much more in detail on totalsomatics.com. But we can bring all those bits in now. My three, which we always go hand in hand here, but is look at the things that you wear as a badge of honor. So mm -hmm. again, so many people being like, I'm never sick. I can survive on two hours of sleep. Why are you using those things? Why is that so important to you? Is that that your identity now revolves around being busy? Is that that you have fallen into the culture of the belief that these things are normal. So we really want to break that down. And I think that's a huge takeaway is look into those things. Also looking at your period, as I said, it is your monthly report card. We can look at our emotions. We can look at fatigue and blame it on so many things. Oh, I'm not stressed. Oh, I just, the, the baby was up last night. Oh, it was just, I just had a bad day or, Oh, I, I felt anxious. I just drank too much coffee today. I shouldn't do that. But when you get to the end of the month and your period is a disaster, then we know, right? 
There we go. That's your piece of information to say, I need to do better. And my final thing is always remember that you can work on so many sources of stress. As I talked about back in the stress episode in season one, there are so many sources of stress. Perceived stress is just one of them, right? We're looking at the stress of blood sugar imbalances, the stress of nutrient deficiencies, the stress of inflammation. So addressing all of those things will make it feel more realistic to address some of the things we're talking about today because it can feel really overwhelming when you're like, I'm already busy. I do not have time to do all of these things. So address what you can and then define what your non-negotiables are in terms of supporting your health. What's that strategy? How are you gonna put it in place? Because there are little things that we can do all of the time to help bring that back. And that can be just raising awareness to what's happening. That can be taking a bath. That can be getting out with your friends. There's so many different ways that we can just regroup and reset. But first and foremost, we need to have that awareness, which is why next time, we're going to go through that list of 10 things and we're going to break it down for you so specifically. In the next episode, the Trap of Busyness Part 2, we're also going to discuss your default patterns, how to recognize your default patterns, and then really how to set those habits in place like I was just talking about and make real, real change that feels really realistic as well. Yeah. And that's it. And we're going to break it right down, Sarah, isn't it? Because if it is a subconscious behavior, if it's been a habit that we've done for so long, we don't realize we're doing it. So we're going to highlight that and make them achievable steps. And also if, if we just throw too much at people all in one go, people won't do it. So that's why if we just during this whole season, we're going to be highlighting and with the education, getting people to understand why they need to make these shifts and changes and how it's really going to help them from inside out. And just as a side note, what I have done for myself and recommend a lot of people do is take one new thing every month and master it. Because if you say, I'm going to drink more water and that's my goal, and then I'm going to walk 10 minutes a day and that's my next month goal, you have 12 things over the course of the year that are integrated into your life that feel really sustainable. So as much as we are giving you a ton of information, take one piece and be like, this month, All I'm going to do is focus on this. And then next month, I'm going to listen to your episode yet again and recommend it to three people. And then we're all going to do the next thing together. (laughs) Shameless plug. Um, But it's just, it's something that you can do in bits and pieces. Our culture is busy, quote unquote. We want to do all of the things at one time and that gives you more stress. So really resist that urge. And I think added to that, Sarah, what's really nice is that when people start to make those subtle changes, they feel the difference. So that's their reward. They think I can feel better. I'm, I've got better quality of sleep. I'm waking up feeling refreshed or my skin's better. People then start to say things like your eyes sparkle and you've got a real glow. And where do you get your energy from? All those sorts of things. And it's all those little bits that you go, do you know what? It's so subtle, but because I'm bringing in something new and it's a gradual change, you feel it and other people see it. And then that is probably the best testimonial you can possibly have. And that will encourage other family members and friends to do the same thing. Most certainly. So we'll wrap that up today on that note. And in the next episode, we're just going to take this even further. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more, go to reallywellwomen.com and connect with us. Also, spread the word so we can increase the feeling of really well women all around the world. So until next time, take care.